Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the story itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. It is episode six. We have made it to, a, to as many episodes as a full Channel 4 series which is no no bad thing at all. It's always quantity or quality over quantity um, on quality British British sitcoms um, and Irish in the case of Father Ted. I am very delighted we are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful Headstuff Podcast Network Studios here in Dublin. And if you've listened to the podcast before, thank you very much. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. If you're new to the podcast, you're very welcome. You can listen to this one, or you can go back to the beginning, get a background on the podcast, and start from the his- the beginnings of Irish mythology and folklore. Uh, we're on part three. This is episode six, but it's part three of Irish mythology, and we're getting into the real meaty stuff now. We're going to be talking about the god Lu, and this is this is there is like there's the build throughout. Irish mythology, but for me personally, when I was when I was researching this this carry on, uh, this was really the jumping off point for me. This is where I got really hooked into the into the story of it all. And this is we're talking about my probably my favorite character in early Irish mythology, certainly. And I hope that you'll see why very soon. Um, I'm gonna get right. To- so this is. The story, we're going to chat a bit more afterwards, of course, but here we go. This is The Coming of Lou on Fireside. The Coming of Lou. When the Tua de Danon first came to Ireland, they were ruled by Nuda. Then Nuda got his arm cut off at the first battle of Moitera. No one who was not perfect could rule the Tua de Danon. So Nuda was replaced with Brez. But Brez was a terrible king, who was no crack and put taxes on everyone. Then Nuda had his arm healed by Miak, son of Dienkecht. So Brez was deposed and Nuda restored as king. And there was much rejoicing. But Brez had sworn revenge, and so went to the country of the Fomor, the enemies of the Tuatha to find his lost father, Alathan, and to raise an army against those who had deposed him. The Tuatha were delighted to have Nuda as their king once again, but there was a problem. 
Under the rule of Brez, the Fomor had imposed heavy taxation on the Thuadedanon, demanding a third of all corn, milk and children born in Ireland. Nuda was keen to reverse this, but the only way to do that would be to go to war, and Nuda was reluctant to put his people through that again. He was also worried he'd lose his recently healed arm again, or even be killed. The two of Daedanon were at this point still unaware of the actions of Brez. One night at Tara, Nuda threw a great feast to celebrate his re-coronation. A young man arrived at the gate and asked to be taken to see the king. The gatekeepers Gamal and Kamal asked, Why should we do that? Who are you to make such a request? The man said, I am Lu, son of Cian of the Tua de Danon, and of Etna, daughter of Baelor of the Fomor. I'm also the foster son of Talcha, daughter of the King of the Great Plain, and of Echid the Rough. Pull the other one, said Gamal. I've never even heard of half of them, said Camal. Neither have I, said Gamal. Maybe that's why we're on the door and not at the feast. I thought we were put on the door because everyone thinks it's gas that our names are so similar, said Camal. Oh yeah, said Gamal. I really wish my name wasn't Camal, said Camal. Lads, said Lou, are you going to let me in? That remains to be seen, said Camal. What are you skilled in? No one without an art comes into Tara. I am a builder, said Lou. We already have a builder, said Gamal. Then I'm a smith. Well, obviously we have one of those. I take it you have a champion, then? Of course. The king's brother, Ogma. How about a harper? We have one. Poet? Storyteller? We have one. I'm a physician, a magician, a healer, a cook. All covered positions. What about a cup-bearer? Now we've nine of those. Then Lou said... So you've a different person for each of those roles. But have you any one person who can do all of those? If you have, I'll leave Tara right now. The two gatekeepers went to the king, and Camel said, There's this lad at the door. He reckons he's an Ildanuk, a master of all arts. He claims that all the things the people of the Tua de Danon can do, he can do all by himself. Nudo was, of course, intrigued. Bring this Ildanuk to me. So Lou was brought to Nuda. I believe you're a master of all arts. I am indeed, said Lou. Well, said Nuda, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to prove it. So the king set a series of physical and mental challenges for Lou, from games of chess to tests of physical strength, and every single time Lou defied all expectations. He played the harp, he sang, and he told stories. He could have everyone laughing at one line and crying at the next. And yes, he even served the king wine. At the end of this incredible display, Lou was welcomed with open arms into the Tua de Danon. I have to ask, said Nuda, where did you come from? So Lou told another tale, his own. When the Fomor lived in Ireland... Their king, Baylor of the Evil Eye, lived on the island of the Tower of Glass. One day, one of his druids told him of a prophecy, that Baylor himself was to be slain by his own grandchild. Baylor had no grandchildren at this point, and only one child, his daughter, Etna. 
So being the paranoid man that he was, Baylor had Etna locked in the tallest part of the Tower of Glass. There he put twelve women in charge of her and told them not to let any man near her. Etna grew up to be a beautiful woman, but not once did she ever meet a man. She never even met her father, as Baylor refused to visit her. He was too busy causing death and destruction all over Ireland. Sometimes Etna would look out the window of her tower and see the blur of male guards and soldiers in the distance. And some nights she would dream of the face of a man. But whenever she questioned her twelve guardians, they refused to answer her. As it happened, around this time, there were three of your own brothers of the Tua de Danan living close by on Drum Natina, the ridge of the fire. There was Govnu, Sawan, and Cian. Cian was the eldest brother and the lord of the land. He loved his brothers, but the dearest thing in the world to Cian was his beloved pet cow, the Glass Govelin. The Glass Govelin was a magical white cow with green spots whose milk never ran dry. She and Cian travelled the length and breadth of the country together, having adventures and drinking milk. Baylor knew of this cow and sought it for himself. And he finally got his chance when one day Samhain brought some steel to Govnu and Cian and asked them to craft weapons for him. Cian asked in return that Samhain would take the glass goblin for a walk, which Samhain was happy to oblige. But Baylor was listening nearby and saw his opportunity. He knew he could never outsmart Cian, but Samhain was not quite as bright. So Baylor disguised himself as a little boy and ran after Samhain and the cow. He called out, Sir, you must hurry. I overheard your brothers say that they're going to use all of your steel to make swords for themselves and not you. Is that so? said an outraged Samhain. Well, we'll see about that. Boy, would you mind holding on to the cow for just a few minutes so that I can go back and catch my brothers in the act? Oh, of course, sir, said the disguised Baylor. No sooner had Samhain ran off that Baylor grabbed the glass goblin and took it back to the island of the Tower of Glass. Cian was devastated when he realised what had happened. He chastised Samhain for his stupidity and vowed he would not rest until he got his cow back from Baylor. He went to his druid friend, Birog of the Mountain, who said she would help him infiltrate the Tower of Glass. She dressed Cian in women's clothes, and they sailed to the island and knocked on the door of the tower. One of Etna's twelve guardians came to the door, and Birog said, I am Birog of the Mountain, and I've just rescued a queen of the Tuae de Danan from drowning. May we come in and rest for the night? The guard didn't like to refuse someone in need, especially if they were of the Tuatheidanen. So she let Birog and Cian into the tower. Once inside, Birog put an enchantment on all twelve guardians and let Cian explore the tower looking for the glass goblin. He didn't find his cow, but what he did find at the very top of the tower was Etna. He was overwhelmed by her beauty. She was initially frightened, having not seen a man up close since the earliest years of her life. But that fear faded away once she realised that Cian was the man whose face she had dreamt of. She told him that, and they gave each other their love there and then. But Cian couldn't stay. 
He wanted to take Etna with him. But Baylor had placed powerful enchantments over the tower to stop her leaving that not even Birog could undo. Needless to say, nine months later, Etna gave birth to a son. Me. Of course, when Baylor found out, he had me ripped from my mother's arms, wrapped up and thrown into the sea. But the reason I'm standing in front of you today is that Birog never stopped watching out for me since the day my parents met. She rescued me from drowning and had me brought to my father, Cian. I had a sword put in my hand from the time I could grip. And today, I am known as Lou Lawfather, Lou of the Long Hand. For no man I swing at escapes me. I've been trained my entire life for the moment I would have to kill my own grandfather. Something that was foretold long before I was even born. And today I come to you, the people of my father, to ask you to join me in my fight against the Fomor. You need not be so heavily taxed by those horrid giants anymore. Join me and you will be free from them. The only thing I ask is that you leave Baylor to me. After Lou finished speaking, there was a silence. Nuda thought hard before speaking. He did not want to go to war. But with this ill Donok, he felt certain of victory, and that his people would be free of the taxation of the Fomor. Nuda stood up from his throne. For your mother, and your father, and all of my people, we will join you, Lu Lawfather. But what about the cow? said Gamo. Yeah, what happened to the glass goblin? said Camel. Oh yeah, uh, she's still in the custody of Baylor, said Lou. Uh, we have to get her back as well. To war, said Gamel. For the cow, said Camel. And so, Lou and the two of the Danon prepared for war. To be continued. <laughs> And there we have it. There is the story of the coming of Lou. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it's quite, it's quite an introduction. Straight away, straight away. Once I reading was reading this for the first time, just that is a character introduction on of just this this young stranger coming to the gates, claiming he can do absolutely everything. Um, is is wonderful. It really is. Um, so Lou, yeah, Lou obviously has all this heritage. He goes. He's involved with everybody. He's everybody's either his parent or his grandfather. And he will go on to father Ku Cullen, which is, which is I suppose where it gets particularly interesting because, um, those familiar at all with Ku Cullen like will no doubt see echoes similarities with Lou in that Cucullin's very much considered the Hercules of of Irish mythology in in for many reasons, like mostly because like he is he is half mortal, half god, he's super strong, you know, but uh like Lou in many ways is more so um is more so like it and uh, like Hercules and so it's not it's no surprise at all that they connected that those two stories were connected to make them family. So yeah, there's two great battles of of uh of Moitara. 
So it's M M A G H T U I R E A D H, as far as I know. Um, so I've been pronouncing it Makhtara, um, but I've seen a few anglicized phonetic spellings of it uh, that have been pronouncing it Moithara. So that's what I'm going to go with for the moment until I'm contradicted or until I see one that works better. Um, so to acknowledge those, those will happen. I will uh, retcon my pronunciations where necessary. We'll get to the second great battle of Moitara in a couple of weeks. But Lou has a sword, a sword called Fragarok, the Answerer, um, and this sword is passed down throughout throughout mythology. Um, which is one of my... It's like he got it off Manon. Manon MacLear, um, I believe, is who gives it to Lou. And Lou passes it down. And eventually, Cúcullan wields this sword. So it is... It's this one thing that goes throughout. It almost is is a thing that ties all, all of the Irish mythology uh, together, is this sword, which I love so much. So let's, let's go back to the start of the story, chat about it a bit. So yeah, we have Nuda reinstated as king, but unaware that Brez has now gone off to meet the Fomor and to raise his army. Nuda is obviously delighted to become king again and has this great party. But yeah, the the kingdom is very much still in ruins from the heavy taxation that the Fomor have placed on that Brez only made worse. So I like that that things aren't just all well once again just because Nuda. Knew they've very much been handed back a sinking ship, and it's the perfect time for the entrance of Lou. So these gatekeepers in Lady Gregory's complete mythology, which uh, is the main source I'm working of for the myths, um, it's written very much, almost like a Bible, almost like a history, um, which is interesting in its own way. But it means that. Everyone is named and everyone is named and who their son of, who their son is, who their father is. It's done very like that, which gets very hard to read at some stages. Um, And for the most part, not for the most part, but where necessary, like I'm not listing like every name mentioned um, because I just think it does slow it down. But I had to make an exception for Gamal and Kamal because... (laughs) just happens to mention that uh, there's two gatekeepers and that their names are Gamal and Kamal. Um, as far as I know, I may be wrong, but as far as I know, I don't think they appear again. Um, but I just, I loved their names so much that I had to, that I had to make them, make them characters, central characters to this story. I just kind of fell in love with them. And then, yeah, so lose. Lou's background. Yeah, there's something very Oedipal about Lou's backstories. Like that he's prophesied, prophesized, is that the word? Uh, to murder his own grandfather, Baylor of the Evil Eye. Baylor, who we haven't met yet properly. Um, the last place we left, Brez. He went over to the country of the Fomor to find his father, Alathan. He asked his father to help him bring an army and at which point Alathan said no because you lost your kingdom we're not going to help you take it back so Alathan takes 
takes Bres to see Baylor, the king of kings of the Fomor. Baylor of the evil eye, which is so called because he has one evil eye that if he if you look into it, you will die. So Baylor has this cool Medusa thing going on, which is class. And obviously he is very much the baddie of this piece. Um it there's there's so many tropes though that so many classic fairy tale tropes in the locking the daughter in the tower for her to be liberated. And then you've got the amazing curveball of having the subplot of the cow. We have to talk about the cow. Um the glass the glass gavelin. The original spelling seems to be G L A S G A I B H N E N N. So like glass gavelin. But every but there's a few pronunciations that says Gavilan and off off uh, alternate spellings and phonetic pronunciations say Gavilan. Uh, so that's that's easier to say than Gavilan. Uh, so that's what I'm going to go with for the moment. But this is a this cow appears in folk tales, and not he's not always owned or she's not always owned by Cain. So I'm definitely I'm definitely going to tell one of the folk tales about her possibly possibly next next episode next folk tale um because I have a slight association with this cow um in that a few months ago um myself uh myself and my girlfriend were looking to go on a weekend away um and so we were looking on Airbnb and we were looking to go somewhere out west, particularly. Um, so we thought maybe the Burren. And then out of nowhere, my girlfriend sends me this link to this like vintage converted caravan, basically, that is in the back of the, it was in the back of someone's just house, uh, just on their grounds. Um, but it. It was known as the Fairy Cow. That was the name of it. And it was spelt spelled Fairy F A E I or F A E or I E um being the old Irish spelling of it. So you know you know you're onto a winner when it's that. But we just we fell in love with this. Um so it was it was like I think it was an old German, like an old sixties German mobile home. Um, that this this husband and wife who live in the burn, they converted and it was absolutely beautiful. They did it. They gutted it on the inside and did it up. But what was so special about it is that the hill that it was on um, is the hill that this cow, the glass goblin, was supposed to have lived on. Um, which was my first introduction to her and made us go, absolutely, we have to go there. Um, we went there and it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was like right beside, it was like eight minutes away from the Father Ted house. So I got to I got to live out all my Father Ted fantasies. That was, uh, the majority of our burn trip was us going on walks on this hill and then trying to visit the various Father Ted locations. So we went to the caves Um which amazingly, so those have seen the Caves episode of Father Ted. 
um, there's the sign when they go to the caves that says the really dark caves, it's almost like being blind. And that sign is still there. It's still outside the Alwi caves uh, in the burn. Um, it's really, it's really massive. And the greatest thing about it is there is no context given to it. There's no like this is from Father Ted, and this is a really massively popular tourist tourist destination. Um, and you just, I just love, I love, love, love the idea of these hundreds and thousands of American tourists passing through there every year. Uh, only to see the really dark caves it's almost like being blind and just to think silly silly Irish people I I, I love it so much um, but yeah so we had a great time but this cow the glass glass governor uh, she was or goblin was more associated with Lon uh, this character named Lon who was the smith so governor is another smith there's a few smiths there's a few of everything um, and it was Lon who travels around with the cow. I need to do a bit more research, like, because I I will do another story about her, about the glass goblin, to find out is Lon another name for Kean? Because Lon seems to be he is the smith for the Fianna. He is the one who makes the weapons for Fionn McCool and his warriors. So this cow, this cow isn't done yet. This cow pops up quite a bit. Um, but in the context of this story, there's there's definitely always going to be uh, the monomythologist uh, Joseph Campbell, who I'm sure will get mentioned quite a bit. He wrote this book uh, called the the hero the hero of a thousand faces, I think it's called, um, and it's basically just about how all stories are one story, um, so from the story of like uh, Jesus Christ, the Matrix. Uh, I don't know, The Lion King. Absolutely everything is one story. Uh, it's the hero's journey. So, of course, there's going to be a lot in Irish mythology that translates with other mythologies and that is familiar in terms of tropes. Uh, but then there is there is just some stuff that is unlike anything else, I found. And uh, the cow, the fairy cow, is definitely one such of those. Because you've got a great story here of... This prophecy, this uh, this evil king is going to be overthrown by his grandson, locks his daughter in the tower. These are all familiar things. The hero is nearby. He has to liberate the princess from the tower. Um, but oh no, he doesn't even know about the princess. He just has a beloved pet cow and his cow is kidnapped. And in an attempt to rescue the cow, ends up finding the love of his life. And how... How unique and how wonderful is that? Uh, I think so anyway. But because obviously in the Lady Gregory version for the purposes of what the story is not that the story is the is the birth of Lou, uh, the cow is just forgotten about. She's not mentioned again. We don't know. It does say one druid does tell Cian that so long as Baylor, so long as Baylor lives, He'll never get his cow back. So that's why I threw back in there with Gamal and Camel asking, well, like, you were seemed to be telling one story and then you told another and then what happened to the cow? So we'll see what happens when we get to the second battle of Moithara. But I hope that uh, we will see the cow 
we will see the cow again. We know the cow survives anyway to have past ownership, and we'll see if I can find a connection of how Lon ended up with the cow. Um, so not all is lost for the glass, for the glass goblin. Speaking of glass, actually, the Tower of Glass is something that was very intriguing to me. Um, I don't know where this island is supposed to be. I assume, I assume off the west coast because that's where all the islands are. But it's an incredible image, isn't it? It's just uh, Baylor living in this Tower of Glass and imprisoning his daughter in this tower. It it seems to be, uh, from what I've seen, it seems to be a Lady Gregory invention. And I saw a line where it said, like, it's probably inspired by some French, some French lad, Marie-Henri Dabois de Joubanville. Apologize to any uh, French speakers if that was awful. Uh, he's a French historian and philologist, whatever that is. Um, but he was very interested in uh, in Celtic languages um, and was obviously a friend of Lady Gregory. But I don't know uh, what why he inspired the Tower of Glass. Um, I must find that out. But it is this incredible image um, to have off the coast of Ireland. There's a there's a running theme certainly in Irish and probably all mythologies. I'm 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 developing where I'm calling it the like the bat out of hell theme. So like like a bat out of hell will be gone when the morning comes. There's just quite a bit of lads running away. Uh of lads laying with a woman and then disappearing forever. So we last time we saw it with Brez, Brez never knew who his father was, and then his mother told him that his father was one of the Fomor, and that he, he sailed into Ireland one day, and they fell in love, and they lay with each other, and then he just left. And there's no context given to it. Like I said, that it was maybe because he wasn't, he was a Fom, he was one of the Fomor, so he wasn't going to be welcomed by the two of the Danon. He didn't want to bring, uh, he didn't want to bring his love back to the lad of the former because he was ashamed because they were traditionally an, an ugly, brutish race and he was quite beautiful. Um, but there's no context given in the in the versions that I've been reading. And we have that again here with, uh, with what's-his-face, with Cian and with Etna, um, in that it just said, uh, you know, they gave each other their love and they were meant to be, but... It says what he was carried away on the wind. I think is how they phrase it. Is does he just buggered off? So I could rationalise that a little bit better. I said, okay, well, they were like obviously he was always going to have to leave, and maybe he tried to take Etna with him, and then couldn't because she was being magically kept in the tower. Uh, that that worked for me. But uh, considering there is, um, relatively speaking, there is a great feminist. A great feminism to to Irish mythology, uh, in that we've got we've got a huge amount of warrior women, of powerful queens and and female druids, um, but of course those traditional tropey, not helpfully sexist things do pop up of just lads fecking off on the girls. Just in case anyone is familiar with this. Uh, Etna's name seems to be Ethlin. 
in anglicized versions uh, which was the one, which was the name I was going with for ages um and then I just found one that said uh, she's etna in an old irish version and I prefer that uh, cuz I don't know any Ethlins for a start, but I have a cousin named Etna, and I like Etna as a, it's one of those very strong Irish, very Irish names. But I think, I think that's fairly it. Yeah. I think that wraps us up nice and nicely. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, and if you did, I'd love to hear your feedback. You can follow me on Twitter at OlaHanSolo, O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O, or on Instagram at OlaHanSolo, all one word again. Uh, so thanks, as always, to Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, it's a joy, it is an utter, utter joy being with these guys and getting to come into the studio every week. Uh, and I hope we can do it for a good while to come. Um, okay. I'll stop my rambling and leave it there. But I will see you all next week on the fi- on the fireside. I will see you all next week by by the fireside. All right, goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.